Hello and welcome to episode 491 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And join me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going very well, Andrew Ferguson. How are you doing? Um, uh, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. That's good to hear. I, I got another year older during the last since the last episode. No, you didn't. It hasn't been your birthday, has it? Yeah, it has. I thought it was next month. I'm sorry no. I missed it. No, uh, I made sure I told no one so everyone can feel fucking guilty for not saying happy birthday to me, oh, you forgetful pricks. I thought it was <laughs> next month. Why did I think it was next month? Because I've been waiting for it. I was thinking, oh, man, because I know you're 49 this year. So I was thinking, like, <laughs> it, it's in July, but it was fucking this month. I'm sorry yeah. I missed it. It's okay. I'll be 49 next month as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, 50 next year. That's how everyone just needs to remember 50 next year. I look at it and feel it. So that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, it's been an, uh, an interesting week. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's start with the biggest news of the entire football week, though. Okay. It sent shockwaves to the entire rugby league world, not just the NRL, the entire mm-hmm. rugby league world. Mm-hmm. Luke Brooks has refused to sign with the West Tigers. Oh, man, I can't imagine how big the contract is that he's going to get from the West Tigers next week. It's going to be at least $2 million. Oh, And he doesn't deserve it. Well, of course not. But if they throw $2 million at him... You signed that fucking deal, Luke. Yeah. And oh, yeah. You, and you it. tell him to lock that shit in for 10 years as well. Yeah. How, like, how old is he? He's like 29, right? Yeah, about that. Um, I'd be saying, look, on a six-year deal. Yeah. Why not? Um, I I don't think any NRL site's going to take him. And no. I, and, I, and I don't think it's because... They think that he's atrocious. I don't think he's atrocious. I think he's still an NRL quality player, but he needs a very specific halfback beside him, and he has to be the 5'8". He can't be a halfback. And no one wants to pay the amount of money that he's probably going to be asking to be a playmaker who doesn't call plays and is going to have to play second fiddle to an actual halfback. It's just too much money to outlay for that sort of a player. See, I was thinking because there, there was the funny story that came out this week that said the Raiders were looking at him which you and me <laughs> joked about was I thought that was fucking hilarious Ricky Stewart loves ruining the halfback but what happens when he gets a halfback that's already ruined I, it could be two wrongs make a right he might actually, might actually create the next Ricky Stewart out of him imagine if he for whatever reason it like sometimes you get into a situation that works what if he just turned him into like all of a sudden he's doing Andrew John shit that would yeah. be incredible, huh? He, he ends up playing 20 Origins from the age of 30 and wins every fucking game. And everyone sits there going, where was this? Yeah. Like 10 years from now, you're 59, and we're saying, like, Luke Brooks is still playing, and he's great. And the the uh, Fox Sports will still be writing articles about, oh, the one the Tigers let go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Yeah, look, I... It's just a weird one. I I kind of thought through the week what teams could use him. Like what teams would be desperate enough, what teams would make a bad decision, you know, and things like that. I couldn't think of one that would do it. I look at it along the lines of which halfback would suit him best. And it's got to be a halfback who can do everything already. Mm. And so he just adds a little bit of extra to the attack. 
Um, so there'd be people like, and I'm talking about elite halfbacks here. So Daly Cherry Evans, Adam Reynolds, Ben Hunt. Um, that's kind of what you're looking at, those sort of players. Yeah, see, I thought Ben Hunt, right? But then at the same time, if I was, a, like, I don't think Luke Brooks is a first grader personally. But if I'm a, a team and I get offered Luke Brooks for, let's say, $500,000, which isn't that much for a half in the NRL. Oh, God, no. Oh, and somebody said to me, you can have Luke Brooks for $500,000 outside of, say, Ben Hunt. I, I'd be saying, can we get can we get like a fucking centre that's cheaper that can just be a ball runner? Well, like, cause he's, he's too small to really be good in defense. Like he's a target in defense and he just, he can't organize the, yeah, your play at all. We've talked about that before. And I don't know. I just think that I'd be shocked if anyone, like I, I think I saw a report saying that maybe Leeds were looking at him over in England. Well, that's the thing. I think, I think he would go insanely well in England. Yeah, same here. Because the one thing that works over there too for um, a lot of the NRL players is the Super League plays so many games with the Challenge Cup and they have so many rounds and stuff like that that they can't just keep players in the one position. They need to move them around a little bit to try and keep them fresh. And so he he would actually get moved to 5'8 and probably even hooker for a few games here and there, um, which wouldn't be bad for him. It would help give him a better game plan. And his his skill set alone without the organizational part of it would be it would be brutal over there. Because well, you... there's not many halves over there that take on the line as much as he does. And, and like when was the last English half back that was an organizing half back, you know? So he he'll fit right in. Yeah. He'd be quite dominant over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of uh, ball running five eights, the Tigers confirmed their seventeenth ball running five eights, who's never played in the halves before today. Mm-hmm. And Stafford Toa will be playing at six this weekend. Nice, nice. Seventeenth they've had in their whole history. Yeah. Wow. This is this is centres and back rowers. Yeah, um, Who, who's been the best of them, dear? Do, do you want me to go through the list? Yeah, I do. This is in no order. I put them in an order of you know what they would look like if you if you made an actual team. I saw one to seventeen out of them. Yeah, I saw so that. these guys have all played five eighths for the West Tigers, despite not actually being genuine five eighths. By the way, keeping in mind that during this time they had Benji Marshall, let's say on and off for ten years or so. For all, actually, for nearly all of the all of the time that all of these players were playing, there's only a few there yeah. that didn't play alongside him. Yeah, so it's not like they didn't have a five eighth, and the first guy picked in the team. So yeah, go ahead, Brett Hodgson. Okay, that's straight away. No. Yeah, he's probably one of the better ones in the list. <laughs> oh, shit, I've started strong. Oh, shit, Daniel Fitzhenry. I remember that one. Blake Ashford. Oh, man. He played quite a few games of 5 eight. Um Paul Fatawira. I remember that one. Matt Sears. Matt Sears played 5 eight. Yeah. Wow. Uh, John Wilson. I don't remember that one. John Morris. A hooker. 
Yeah. They, they, tried, they tried for for years to turn him into a halfback, and it just didn't work. It didn't work, no, no. Uh, ben Galea. Okay, I remember that one. William Fulton. I remember that one. Ben Duckworth. I don't remember that one. Holy crap. Brian Madison. Oh, man. I think the Eels have done that this week, too. They might have done, yeah. Chris Lawrence. I remember that one. That wasn't good. Jamal Alessi. Yeah, that wasn't good. Owen Craigie. Man, and when you got Owen Craigie, it was like the ghost of Owen Craigie. That's right. Uh, Shane Elford. I don't remember that one. Holy shit. And Kevin McGuinness. Yeah, Kevin McGuinness. He was another one where you got him too late. Um, And that doesn't include... There's there's been a few others that have played at halfback. I haven't put them on the Mm. list here who weren't actual halfbacks, like Robbie Farrah, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, And John Morris. They're the two most prominent ones. Um, There's something about the West Tigers where you could... You could, like you did the 5 eighth list there, you could do the same thing for the locks that they've named. Yeah. And it'd be this, a similar sort of like, holy shit, you know. Um, yeah. It, it, there's something about it that they do with, or like. It's a Sheensism. Yeah. Or, or yeah, i tell you the other one, back rowers, where you'd be like, oh, remember when that winger was playing back row for 12 games? And it's like, <laughs> why? <laughs> because reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was crazy though. Yeah, that's a rough one. I'm pretty sure Penrith named uh, Frank Pulitore at five eighth under under uh, Matthew Elliott once. Well, you know, Matthew Elliott was guessing. He was. <laughs> that was probably <laughs> one of his best moves, actually. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that's Staffordshire, the seventeenth misplaced six in the Tigers' history. Well, you know. Maybe they've found the one. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's, um, the, the thing that surprised me most is it's taken Tim Sheens this long mm-hmm. to actually misplace someone in the 5-8th role. Yeah. Usually he's all over that shit within the first six weeks. That's the, Yeah, that's the first move he makes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Normally it's something like he'll go like, who's this player that was a hooker in the juniors but grew a bit too big and slow, and so I have him as an undersized lock but then, <laughs> but then there's, it's, then he's on the bench. But now I'll move him into five eight. That's normally his go, you know. Yeah, and look, some people might, if if they're aware, they might go, "How come you didn't have Curtis Sirinan in there?" And the reason why is because Curtis Sirinan actually came through the juniors as a five eight. Yeah, and he started his NRL career with the Tigers as a five eight. Um, he should have been moved into the centres before he was moved into the the second row, but uh, you know that's another that's another fuck up for another episode. I, know, I don't right? I don't want to burn them all now. <laughs> Speaking of um, just you know throwing throwing names in the air and letting them fall into a team, should we have a look at the state of origin teams? Because oh shit, yes. Oh man, I've got no pro- like Queensland. They're, they're pretty settled considering, right? So, and they won the first game. There's not really too much to talk about their team, I don't think. What do you think? No, I mean, they only um, they only had to... Sorry, I almost pulled my headphones off there. Um, they only had to replace a few players who, who had injuries during the, um, you know, since the last game. Mm-hmm. That that was it. Um, so, Selwyn Cobbo picked up an injury. 
he's out. Uh, Xavier Coates comes in for him. Jai Arrow and Tom Gilbert um, are out. Hika Nanai comes into the back row. And, oh, sorry, Jeremiah Nanai. Hika Nanai. That was a guy from a bit further back, I think. <laughs> and um, Fodawaka comes onto the bench, I believe. That's yeah, the only was, changes they've got. Yeah, I was happy to see Fodawaka come back into the side because he, you know, when he was in that first stint where he was with Queensland, he was fantastic. But he was like one of those players that was under the radar, I think, for most people. And then he had a little bit of a a, a form step back. But he's been playing pretty good footy, and it was good to see him get his chance again because I think that he's one of those players that when he gets the chance to be in the representative scene, it just makes him a better player, even in club football, while that's happening. So it was cool to see him back in the side. Absolutely. Um, and then we've got New South Wales. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. Um, Stephen Crichton has been dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, for Latrell Mitchell, fine. But you know what? Crichton actually didn't play that badly. He no. played better than Tom Trebojevic, who's been retained and who isn't a centre. Yes. Why not just put Crichton at centre and Tom Trebojevic can go back to being a flat-track bully? Yes, that, that makes total sense. Um, Mitchell Moses comes in at halfback. Well, that was the plan all along, obviously. Brad Fittler actually said that. Hey, Brad Fittler said the plan all along was to have Mitchell Moses as the next guy in line. Which, you know what, if that's the case, fine. Go with it. Why why put Hines in front of him for game one? Hines is still an absolute fucking mystery. Did he deserve to be selected? Yes. Yeah, okay. Enough, yeah. But if if Tom Trebojevic didn't get injured, what was his what was the game plan for him? I know I asked this on the last episode, but I mean, yeah. that's what it comes down to. And go if you don't have a game plan that utilizes all of your players, then how can you call yourself a coach? What the fuck are you picking players for? And, and the just other random guess? What the fuck is this? Exactly. And like. The other thing is, he's brought in Reese Robson, right? Who's a pretty solid player. And I've got no problems with him being selected. And he's brought him in on the bench as a backup hooker, which is basically par for the course at at least rep level. At, at club level, most teams should be looking at that. But at rep level, it's kind of what you do. You, you pick your hooker um, and then you've got your you know, three forwards, basically. And at rep level, you've got guys that can shuffle around anyway because they're talented, you know. They can they can cover for each other. Yeah. But if... if This is game two of the series. And Brad Fittler's been the coach for a number of years now. And now he's going to this, in, this setup in game two. So why didn't he use it in game one? Where he obviously, as you say, had no plan for Hines. And I just look at this team and the way that they, they've they played, and I just think that Brad Fittler just, he doesn't have a fucking plan. No, there's there's no clue. Yeah. Like that origin, you know, any origin success he's had has been largely due to the sheer volume of quality players he had compared to Queensland at the time. I think so too. I think so too. No, and we, we talked about it. it in the last episode where... The the Winsies had a 
they've glossed over some weird selections. Like you think about all of the fullbacks that have played in the centres for New South Wales under his watch. Mm-hmm. And how many actual centres have actually been playing in the centres under his watch? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And it's it's mad. Like, why would you put a full a fullback at centre anyway? Why wouldn't they be on the wing? I mean, they're going to be catching bombs on the wing anyway, and they're doing kick returns out there. It's not that much of a different job to what they do a fullback. It, I can get where you've got someone like Latrell Mitchell, who's proven it. You know, I mean, he played in the centres for Australia. Well, that's and, right, but he also started his general career as a centre. Exactly. So that makes and, sense. But Tedesco, Trebojevic, Josh Dugan, Jack Whiten. Um, Gartherson. Gartherson. We had a whole series where Gartherson was in the team. They're not They're not centres. Well, they, they weren't when they, when they came along. They were all fullbacks first. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just maddening, especially when you've got an actual test centre to pick and you choose not to. And you well, choose to go with a bloke who's been in average to okay form all year. Mm-hmm. What has Tom Trebojevic done this year to deserve being selected? Nothing. Nothing. I think, I think most teams have worked him out now, actually. He's... I don't think he's at full fitness, and he, and if he is, then he's not playing very, you know, he's not playing very well. Hmm. I I wouldn't have him there at all. Fuck, I'd put a West Tigers centre in there, and I don't even know who that who which one I'd be putting in there. <laughs> I wouldn't care. At least they know how to play at centre. It's just crazy that New South Wales has Campbell Graham and Stephen Crichton, <laughs> who are two like of the <laughs> safest centres you could have in the entire sport, and they're not even in the team. Not even there. Um, and then Mitch Mitch Moses. Can we talk about Mitch Moses? Well, look, the problem I'm going to have with Mitch Moses, okay. Mm-hmm. You hate and, him? Well, you hate his guts. I think he's very one-dimensional as a player. Yes. Unless New South Wales gets on top early and gets ahead on the scoreboard early, he's going to be one-dimensional all game, and he's going to struggle. And when he starts to struggle, it means that Luai will have to start coming further into the middle of the field, which then takes him further away from his link men out wide, mm-hmm. which means New South Wales start playing in the middle, which is exactly where Queensland wants him to play. See, I don't I don't mind them I don't mind seeing Luai play more in the middle of the field because I think that's where he needs to be, right? No, I I don't mind it either, but the problem is he's going to be too far away from all of his link men to make any use of the blokes outside him because the, the Queensland edges come up pretty quick. And so they, the way they're designed to play is to force New South Wales into the middle. And by having Luai already in the middle, he's going to be easier to contain, especially when there's, he's got very few ball-playing options outside of him to get the ball out wider. So that's why he's kind of, he and Cleary do tend to play a little bit wider in origin. It's mad... It makes no sense. That's why you've got to have that creative spark at, at hooker to try and get the ball out to him, shuffle it out as quickly as possible. Um, but with Moses there, he will just park himself on the right side of the field. He won't he won't shift from over there too much. And you're going to have the same issue you had in game one where your two halves are playing on two different sides of the field and they're not linking together at all. Mm. And Cook's going to be parked right in the middle and he's going to struggle to get get the ball out to them. Because as we saw, we had 
got Tyson Frizzell playing, you know, where a centre should be. Yeah, he was playing centres, basically, wasn't he? Yeah. And this, as we go further through, Hudson Young is still there. And that, look, Hudson Young's another thing about what was the plan, because he Hudson Young didn't play well in the first game. I would have picked him in this game. And he only really had the one stint, where, and it was like a nothing stint, and that was it. It was all over. Yeah. And so, and I, I was like, well, he's not going to play again. Like, it was pretty obvious that, and they picked him again. And it's like, well, what the fuck is the plan? Have you got I, a plan? I, I don't know. Um, the for Stefano Utikamanu onto the bench, which that's actually not a bad decision. He's a, I agree. a, a big body, mm-hmm. but he's the only prop they've got on the bench. Cameron Murray, Liam Martin, Reese Robson are the other bench players. So that's a very light bench. Very light bench, especially um, Cam Murray. Cam Murray's Cam Murray worries me a little bit. I, I think he's he's not the biggest dude in the world. Obviously, he's a, and he's a, he's a he, worker. He's a worker, but he's a worker that is not the biggest dude in a game of giants in the middle of the NRL, you know, and yeah. he gets bashed up a lot. That's the thing that gets me. He probably wouldn't be too bad if he was a straight swap for Hudson Young, though, and Young was dropped and they put a prop on the – because then you've got Murray playing a bit wider against the smaller players. Yeah, yeah. That would work, and he's good enough at origin level. And then that that means you've got Young out of the side. Keon Kalomatangi's on the extended bench. I'd put him straight into the 17 and mm-hmm. drop Young. And then I'd I'd drop Trebojevic and put Crichton in. Mm-hmm. And then all you got to do is try and figure out what the hell you're doing with the halves. I don't know why they didn't go with Adam Reynolds. I, d- I thought Adam Reynolds was just like, especially with Damian Cook in that hooker, I just thought that was a, a decision that was just out of hands at that point because it was so obvious. And the then one thing they need is that kicking game. Desperately, desperately. And and then when we were watching the game um, on Monday and the Fox Sports was just stroking it to Mitch Moses and I'm like, this is weird. What's going on here? And then New South Wales actually did pick him. And it was weird watching the Fox Sports commentary and they're, they're like, Mitch Moses has been in great form all year. And it's like, no, it's maybe his worst year ever. <laughs> you know, He hasn't even been the best half at the Eels. Um, so Parramatta still are not in the eight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Adam Reynolds has been fantastic for the Broncos. I, I just mean, can't believe, I can't believe it. And, and that's why, and it goes back to our last episode where we talked about Brad Fittler's coaching, and I just think that there's no there's no plan. It's like he hasn't got a coaching philosophy, and it's good in some ways that you don't want someone to stick with something that that is a losing recipe, right? But when you when you name a halfback on the bench in game one, then you're not going to use him until you've got an injury to your centre. And then you don't pick that halfback in game two. And you've got fucking Phil Gould, who during the week said um, that Hines was a bit, he said he was like shaky or something after the game. And that's probably why he wasn't getting selected. And it's like, I just think that we've got this cartel around the New South Wales coaching, like, setup. I agree. That is fucking dumb. Yeah. And they listen to the wrong people. 
and they're all Channel 9 employees. Like, what's that all about? Uh, some of them work for Fox Sports. Uh, it's, seriously, it's like, Mary McGregor's there. Yeah, because he's such a such a good coach. Like, what the fuck? you got the Johns brothers chipping in with their knowledge of the game, which is terrible. And arguing one another. Yeah, they don't like each other, which makes sense, because no one likes them. Um, we had Andrew Jones saying he doesn't even pay attention to what Queensland's doing. I mean, you'd think, I don't know, you'd look at what your opposition's doing. Makes it a bit easier to set a game plan. They have one <laughs> fucking opponent they've got to prepare for. One. Probably a good idea to cast an eye over them, hey? It would help. It would yeah. help. Um, so, so just... I don't know. And they, they react to what the, the media wants far too easily. Far yeah. Too, especially after a loss. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, oh, we've got to drop this part. We've got to drop, we've got to bring this bloke in. We need to use this bloke. And then they go, yeah, let's do all of that. And you go, no. you got to pick Hudson Young. you got to pick him. It's like I, I, watched, I watch every single game. I watch Hudson Young. And when people say that they've got to pick him, I'm watching him and I'm like, I don't see it. Yeah, he gets it. he gets schooled every week by Corey Horsburgh. It's it was the same thing with Madison with the Eels. They did it was the exact same scenario. Oh, I got to pick him for New South Wales, and I'm watching it. And it's like this is this is not going to win. And you know, no, I I I don't get it. I I don't get it at all. Um, so I I'm very very concerned that mm. New South Wales is not going to look that much different at all. Mm-hmm. They'll be quicker at a dummy half mm-hmm. just because Cook's there. Um, you've got two types of Damien Cooks, though, and that is the Damien Cook that goes sideways is the Damien Cook that doesn't win games, and the Damien Cook that runs straight is the Damien Cook that wins games of footy. Yes. And they need to make sure that he's running straight as often as possible, um, especially when he's got – bloody Paulo, Haas, and Yo in the middle with him. Run straight a lot. Yeah. You have to. Um, and that way you'll be taking an awful lot of pressure off Moses. Luai can handle the pressure, but Moses, he needs as much help as he can out there in this situation because the game plan at the moment looks fucking stupid and it will not suit Moses' game at all. Moses <laughs> needs to be near a 5.8. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Think can... it would, I don't think it would suit many players' games. I think it would suit, and you you talked about this in the last episode. Actually, it would suit the sort of game plan where you have a player like an Andrew Johns, whose five eighth partner is Sean Rudder. Yeah, that's all right. This guy is just going to tackle and get the fuck out of my way when we've got the ball. Yeah, well, you. It's got a. It's a game plan that works for a Daly Cherry Evans or a Ben Hunt, a halfback, or an Adam Reynolds, a halfback who can do everything and doesn't need um, a 5 eighth to take pressure off him because he can handle the, all those duties on his own. Mm-hmm. And that's not Moses. That is Cleary. The problem they had, though, is Queensland knew that that's the sort of player Cleary is, so we've got to pressure him all, all game and take the time away from him. So they weren't smashing him in defence. They were just closing that gap that he had to get things done. Mm-hmm. And so he had to play safe all game. And that's why you had the result we had. Lots of bombs, lots of passes close to the ruck, lots of running the ball himself, especially a third and fourth tackle. 
mm-hmm. because there were no options around because they were shut down by the defenders all around him. It was a very smart defensive game plan, and they're going to do the same thing to Moses because Moses will not handle it as well as Cleary did. No, no. I mean, you know, Moses' best performance ever was the opening of Parramatta Stadium. <laughs> it was, though. Like, what's his next best performance? Oh, probably some other game for Parramatta against the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said about picking players that have proven themselves. And I know you've got to be able to be there to prove yourself. But, you know, Moses ain't a young halfback. Shall we um, have a bit of a gander at who this uh, inform Mitch Moses' Parramatta side has, has beaten this year? Yeah, go for it. An out-of-form Penrith by one point. Mm-hmm. A winless West Tigers by six points. Mm-hmm. The lowly Bulldogs, 30-4. to four. The bottom eight Knights, 43-12. to 12. Mm-hmm. South, 36-16. That's a good one. We'll give them great, that. Great win, yeah. Um, the near the bottom of the ladder Cowboys by eight points. Mm-hmm. And Bulldogs again last week. Actually, that was just yesterday. Um so yeah, not really picking the uh picking the big ones off. They've lost to Melbourne, Sharks, Manly, Roosters, Broncos, Titans, and Canberra. It it's just I don't get it. I they're, don't... In, they're inconsistent as hell right now and they want to say that he's in form. And he just isn't. That's the thing. Like there's been times where he has had form. We've talked about it. He starts the season normally on fire. Yeah. You know, he starts the season playing like the best player in the world most years. And it's about now he's tailed off for a couple of weeks. He he didn't do that this year. He was pretty average this year like the rest of his teammates were. So I, I don't understand. I don't understand how he skips over the top of Hines and how you look past the combination you could have had with Cook and Reynolds, and with Reynolds being able to do... I mean, Reynolds is one of those players. He'll do whatever you want him to do, you know? He's been around long enough to... You're not going to freak him out with any game plan you come to him with. Um, Whereas Mitch Moses is the sort of player that's, a, as you say, he's a bit of a one-dimensional player. And that's all right in the right situation. But... It hasn't been the right situation when it matters for Parramatta, and it, it's, it's not the right situation for Origin, I don't think. No, I agree. Um, now, speaking of things that we don't understand, mm-hmm. Shane Flanagan. Shane Flanagan has been named the Dragons coach. Is it official now? I well, I believe it's it's imminent that it's All a decision. Official. Um, because, I mean, they're not looking at anyone else anymore. Well, and I don't know why they're not looking at Ryan Carr, who's been doing pretty bloody well in the few weeks he's been there. Yeah, it's so strange, isn't it? Um, look, any time you can name the most disgraced coach in the history of probably Australian sport, you've got to do it. Um, yeah, look, I... I don't know, I... I think he's immensely overrated. I don't know who rates him highly, but whoever they are, I think they've got a lot wrong. I agree. I don't see what he brings to a side. He's okay when he's got a very strong forward pack um, defensively, but he doesn't have that at the Dragons. And I don't know what else he's going to be able to work with because he does not, he does not have 
any idea how to run a good attack. When Think of all those years he was at the Sharks and how many times they won games 14-12 and 16-14 and 12-10 or, or lost games by the same margin. It's it's okay to be able to win those games when you're going to grind out a win. But when you've got a team that's capable, like a top eight quality side that's capable of getting more wins and losses there, you're probably going to turn out okay. But he doesn't have that with the Dragons. So I don't see how they think that the game plan that – and he only has one game plan, and that is to grind out low-scoring victories and have that sort of thing. I don't see how they think that that's going to be to their best advantage because it just isn't – they don't have the, field, also, the squad for it. I also think about when you look at any success he has had. Man, it's so weird. People – when I talk about him on the podcast, and Andrew knows this, I am biting my tongue on the podcast. <laughs> I, I try and, for the, for the sake of genuine debate, I try and look past his blatant, obvious, clear cheating. Systematic. Systematic. I don't disagree with any of that. But in the sake, for the sake of having genuine discourse about whether he's a viably suitable coaching option for anyone. Mm-hmm. I try and look at his achievements um, on the field in games as far as game plans and structures he has in place and stuff like that and try and bypass that other stuff just to see if there actually is anything of value there and there just isn't. Do you remember when when Paul Gallen was the New South Wales captain mm-hmm. And he was running for like 250 metres per game for Mm -hmm. for New South Wales, making like 50 tackles, playing 80 minutes. And you could put money on him for man of the match. And win, lose or draw, he'd almost get it because of the overwhelming amount that he was doing on the field. And Shane Flanagan had a few players that just had that, I don't even know, that something extra. I don't even know what you'd call it. But I'm, sure it's a, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's got some sort of name. <laughs> I'm sure it's got some sort of atomic makeup. <laughs> nay, it wouldn't be anything. <laughs> and he had a team full of players that had that something extra. But on top of that, he also had a team that broke the salary cap systematically as well. So any of his success he's had was um, an anomaly. Tainted. 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 I can't believe any club would want that. I cannot believe it. No, likewise. So crazy. Now, so I did some some analysis, some research, looking at coaches who'd been – who'd been replaced mid-season. So not all of them were sacked, and I'm not looking at all sacked coaches either. Just the coaching changes that happened after a season had started. Okay. Right, and this is from 1998 to 2023. And overall, the old coaches, so the ones who got replaced, had a worse win record than the ones who replaced them. Mm-hmm. This is just for the season where the, where the change happened. Okay, in that one season, yep. That yep. one season was changed up. So they end up with a worse win record than the than the coach who replaced them. Yes. The new coach, the they improved the attack by almost three points per game. Okay. But the old coach was nearly two points a game better in defense. That's interesting. 
I found that um, quite remarkable, to be honest. That's 400-odd games or so, all up. Um, but overall, the there wasn't that much of an improvement in win percentage. The old coach would win 32%. The new coach was winning 36 Okay. The, I guess you get... Man, when you're in a bad team and everyone's trying to improve, and there's definitely a, a case where, you know, plays tighten up and they're trying to play percentages a little bit more and stuff like that. But they're not a good team. That's why the coach gets sacked. No. And I can see where maybe the coach being a pressure relief when he gets sacked, it it, it opens up the football a little. So you get that, that difference in attacking numbers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just found it fascinating that the... The defense is the thing that dropped away. Mm. Um, and out of all those coaches, uh, only two uh, were um, replaced while the team was still inside the top eight. Oh, let me try and guess. One of them's obviously Anthony Griffin. Yes. Oh, man, the other one. <laughs> it's going to be difficult, isn't it? It is going to be very difficult. Um. Oh, I feel like it's going to be someone weird. It is. Uh, okay. Uh, he got replaced. Yeah. Just This is going to throw a real furphy in it, okay? He got replaced by the same club in two consecutive seasons. Two so he started the season as their coach. Yeah. For two straight seasons, and on both occasions, he was replaced after the season had started. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man, that's really difficult. Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to just toss up a name. Okay, I'll, I'll give you the years. It's 2013 and 2014. No, nah, I'm out. I've got no idea. <laughs> Peter Sharp at Cronulla. Peter Sharp, wow. In 2013... Um, he coached for two games there, and I think it was because um, – what happened there? It looks like Flanagan might have been suspended, I think, for the start of the year maybe. He missed the first two games, and then Flanagan replaced mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And then – no, Flanagan got suspended at the end of that year because Sharp was back as coach for the first 14 games of the next season, and Jamie Shepard replaced him for the rest of that year. So that was the year that Flano was out. I don't know why he was at the start of the year, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a strange situation, hey? Yeah. How do yeah, you was... approach that the second time you say, Peter Sharp? Like, when you call him in, you say, oh, Pete, didn't think we'd be here again. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other one that got me was um, Josh Hannay. He, he replaced um, Paul Green at the Cowboys in 2020. Mm-hmm. And he'd made it clear that he didn't – he had no aspirations to be a, for a uh, first-grade coach. Mm-hmm. And because there's still a bit of uncertainty over who was going to be the Cowboys coach at the time, he didn't want to be thrown in that conversation. So he left and he went to the Sharks for 2021, mm-hmm. where John Morris lasted five weeks and then Josh Hanna had to finish off the season. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, poor old Josh. Yeah. He's a very good assistant coach from, from uh, all reports. But yeah, he, he, knows, he knows his place. It's interesting he he didn't want the gig. Yeah. It's really interesting. And then the gig chased him. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a little bit of analysis. I'll put that up on Twitter so everyone, anyone can go over there and check that out. That's fantastic. It's um, a big sample size of 400-plus games, too, for the yeah. coaches, you know. That's right. So it's um, I had been doing a little bit of work there. Mm-hmm. A little busy. Um, something else I want to raise, too, which is not much of a discussion point, but... Uh, uh, International Rugby League um, official Taz Battieri has been honoured with the Order of Australia Medal for Service Rugby League. Um, was he a Penrith junior? Uh, I've 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 worked with Taz a bit with the International Rugby League stuff and and also with Rugby League Project getting International Rugby League records, and he's always in a new country helping out rugby league somewhere with whatever they need. And he's um, always willing to help me out with whatever details or research and stuff I need. He'll always help me out wherever he can. Um, so he definitely deserves it. And mm. one of the genuine, brilliant humans out there working in rugby league. Yeah. Yeah. He's he And he's been doing it for decades now too. Yeah. And has not asked for anything in return. He just, he does it. Like whether... The internet, whether it's the International Rugby League Federation or nothing's there or the World Cup's been cancelled, which happened twice now, it, it's like he's always out there in some weird country, like actually helping on the ground. Um, it, you know, he should be right. He should be the head of the International Rugby League, really. Oh, yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. Um, yeah, brilliant human. So that was definitely well deserved for him. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have we got? Well, while we're overseas, mm-hmm. the RFL have been making a bit of a bit of noise. Yeah, they're they're going to change the rules of the game. Why not? Yeah, fifteen plays. <laughs> Don't be shocked if that happens. <laughs> hey, Don't be shocked. I certainly wouldn't be. So they're looking. What they're doing is at the lower grades, and I should bring up this article. I saw this article on uh, the Love Rugby League website. It, it ended up in my timeline. And they're looking at making some changes in the lower grades um, to test rules. So instead of kicking off at the halfway line, the kickoffs will now happen in the opposition's 40-metre line. <laughs> right? And, and this is all to try and stop concussions. Uh, the other thing they're going to uh, do... How, how does that help stop concussions? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, carry on. They do... That, okay, here's the thing. They do this in the NFL. Okay, so what they did is they moved the kickoffs in this to this position in the NFL. And what it basically was was to stop kick returns and or cut down the number of kick returns. So... Kick returners in the NFL, they can they can say fair catch and they start at their twenty yard line. Okay, we don't have that in rugby league. I don't know what this. I don't know how this works. Like, are we now just going to put basically high kicks up? I don't get it. The other thing they're going to do is they're going to ban tackling above or the from the shoulders up. So any if you tackle someone around the shoulders, penalty, high tackle. That's kind of already the rule, is it not? Well, I know it's, I know it's probably neck and above, but you know we're not talking much here. 
yeah, but I oh, know it's um below the armpit is the initial contact. Yeah. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck um, up the ball. Right. Oh, that's yeah, that's rough. This was part of ten uh, recommendations that they looked at. Not all of them they're going to pick up on. Another one was five minute sim binnings, because we and we've talked about that ad nauseum. How that's stupid. Well, it's pointless. Yes, uh, cutting the game down to sixty minutes because that's what you want in the modern day game. You want to give less content to the uh, to our broadcasters. Go back to the five-meter rule, Andrew. Are you fucking serious? I'm not fucking joking. Oh, my God. Uh, what a so, hang on. Look, if you're going to go back to the five-meter rule, mm-hmm. then that negates the need to make the game shorter because the game will be slower. I, a five-meter rule will slow the game down. We'll just say you're coaching, you're coaching under the five-meter rule now. Okay. You're going to have to set your back line deeper. Yeah. And you're going to have to send it, set it a lot deeper. Yes. Okay. And they're not okay. going to be able to do the sideways movement as much. They're going to be running a lot straighter. And just you just have angled runs. There won't be anyone trying to run around anyone. Yeah. And so I don't think it, that would stop collisions. i tell you one thing it would do. The number of penalties for offside players at dummy half would be outrageous. And you kill dummy, yeah. Like, unless you can get the markers lazy, you kill dummy half running. Well, yeah. So it, I I just, uh, I'm all for it. I think the Rugby Football League should morph into a different sport so we can just eject them out of Rugby League for forever. Should they change it to a five-yard rule? Like, make it a bit shorter? Maybe a five-foot rule. Five inches. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> let's do it. If we're going to really, you know. Yeah. Let, let, let's not fuck around here. This whole podcast, I feel like, is just you and me having our minds blown, hey? <laughs> we're just both sitting here going, what? <laughs> is, is Brad Fittler running the RFL now? <laughs> Five minutes in being... Five minutes in being. Um The kicking off from the forty metre line is goofy. Well that's the forty metre line in the opposition's half. Yeah. So it it's gotta be to promote high kicks instead of long Yeah, because and- that's that's gonna be great. Because everyone's just gonna start doing Pat Richards kickoffs. And the bloke catching the ball is just gonna get absolutely Fucking poleaxed every time he goes to lead to catch the ball. Yeah, How's that going to help? That's think... just going to, and they're, they're going to drive him in the exposed uh, middle, you know, midriff area because his arms are going to be up catching the ball. No protection on his ribs, and the whiplash you'll get on those tackles. Whoa. I just don't I... understand it. I don't get. Then, well, the the worst thing about it too is, I I think the mindset behind it is, if you've just had a try put on you. We're going to reward you by letting you get right on top of their your opposition side who just scored because you'll kick off forty minutes from their own forty minutes from their own line. And with the five meter rule, they're gonna they are not gonna get outside of their own thirty meters. No, so well, the team that's just, just conceded a try is then gonna be straight on the attack. Yeah, imagine imagine the Panthers with this rule. Like good luck. 
you know, Nathan Cleary doing doing kickoffs and you just you're like, oh, we got to our twelve meter line. The the problem the problem this is gonna have in the RFL is um you're gonna end up with a lot of second rowers and centers playing the game. Mm-hmm. And all they've got to be is capable of making tackles. And this is going to hurt them at an international level so much where the 10-meter rule is still in place. Yeah, it gets rid of basically all of their skill players. Yeah, you're just going to be running um, crash plays, block plays. That's it. You're just going to be throwing throwing blokes into the middle of a forward pack until eventually the defense yields and you score a try. And they're all going to be barge over tries. Um, even kicks to corners are going to be limited because the halfback's not going to have enough time to get a kick over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the reason why we left the five meter rule. Yeah, and, it was and to open the, the game up a bit because it was boring. Yes, and teams weren't scoring points; it, they weren't scoring tries. It was just a defensive slog. And when we did that, the game kicked on. Maybe we need a. A halfway point. Let's go with a 7.5 metre rule. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Good luck, you know, refs. <laughs> you'll get a lot of people in the UK, and it's always the same people. It's always the sycophants of the Rugby Football League who, you know, it's the same old people that will say, oh, you don't really know because we're going to be, we're going to see the game sued out of existence. And it's like, well, fucking do it then. Sue it out of existence. Let's start another one. Let's call it fucking Rugby League 2, okay? Um, I I just can't believe how fucking mind-blowingly stupid. It reminds me of, I remember about 10 years ago, the uh, the double, oh, man, I was going to say a word, can't use these days, the double morons from Cessnock, they come up with the idea to have 11 players on the field because that <laughs> yes. would open up the game. Yeah, because the game wasn't open enough. I know. <laughs> Fucking morons. <laughs> um, the the crazy part about this, okay, is this is something that the RFL is proposing, not for Super League, but for the two divisions lower, so the Championship and the League One. Mm. The problem you get there is that they're going to be playing on completely different rules to Super League, so if they get promoted, <laughs> they're playing a different game of football. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it, it turns it into a different sport. Yeah, it's insane. It's it's not logical. No, no, not in the slightest. And, not in the slightest. And it looks past. You know, if you're worried about about concussions at the high level of the game, and I realise you've got to be worried about it at every level of the game, but they mostly focus on the ones the professional plays. Um, if you're worried about concussions, there, having a sport that doesn't set you up to be physically or mentally ready to play at the top level where the sport is completely different is a really bad idea. Well, they've gone about this the wrong way, okay? Every person who's out there advocating for, um, you know, more research and more care needs to be taken for players regarding, H, you know, head injuries assessments and all that sort of stuff, they're not trying to get the rules of the game changed to make it softer. No. What they're wanting is for the game to be accepting of the fact that there is a big risk of these players getting long-term brain injuries from playing the game. And so the game needs to be thinking long-term about all of their players' health and safety. And they need to be trying to do everything they can to assist 
in the research into what's going on so that they can actually try and find a way to help um, the players after their career's over mm. to maybe manage. They might even find a, a remedy or, or something that slows down um, the impacts of these of these brain injuries if they get enough assistance. But instead, they don't want to accept wholeheartedly that there's an issue there and they don't want to look like they're at fault. So they do this other weird stuff instead. And none of it's helping. Like they're changing the, the game, but they're not minimizing or reducing the damage on the brain. That's still going to happen. doesn't matter whether there's a five-meter five rule, whatever. It's still going to happen. You think about some of the players who have passed away due to HIA. Um, I forgot the actual term, but um, Steve Fox. CTE, that's on. Steve Folks played in the five-metre rule. Yeah. He would have only played in the five-metre rule as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's... You can't go changing some of these rules and that's going to be the solution. It's not. Okay. Stop trying to circumvent risk or anything like that and just accept the fact that, you know what, it's a physical game. Let's do everything we can. Throw funding towards people doing this research and try and help them find a way through this. Every sport, not just rugby league, is trying to find a way to avoid being blamed for what's going on. Yeah. That's what it's coming down to. Instead, they should be going there trying to help find, you know, help the research, try and find a way to manage this and hopefully put enough funding in it to try and find, if not a cure, something that can help slow down the impacts of CTE. Yeah, because the the safest way to play rugby league is to not play it. Exactly right. It's a it's a really tough sport to play, and it's not a sport for everyone. And you're going to get hurt if you play it long enough. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter if you are not caught in an illegal hit or tackle ever. You're going to get hurt at some point. And it's the same thing with the uh, you know the what do they call them where the, you get tackled around the legs and they fall on your legs what do they call that tackle oh, the hip drop hip drop tackles it's like how many how many players that have had a supposed hip drop tackle on them have actually been injured cuz i know you can you can get hurt by having a player fall on your legs and stuff and you get up and you know you might have to come from the field and get some ice on and stuff but you you're not injured you're hurt Right, and there's a difference. Yes. And so now we penalise everyone when they tackle someone from behind because they might land on someone's legs and they might get hurt. Fucking ridiculous. Being, you've not been allowed to hit someone in the head in a tackle for decades. And it's been many, many decades, but it's it's been, what, 40, 50 years since they really smash you for hitting someone in the head. So it's not like it's within the rules to hit someone in the head, you know. And even if it's a mistake, a lot of the times you'll get penalised. You'll get rubbed out of the game for weeks and weeks and weeks. As you say, the problem that you see people that are in the medical profession talking about are not the rules. The problem is the aftercare because the aftercare in some cases is like, you know, they've brought in this thing where you've got to have 10 10 days uh, stand down from games. And now all of a sudden they're starting to put in little, you know, oh, well, yeah, 10 days, but, you know, and it's like, no, no, it's supposed to be 10 days out of the game. 
What are you talking about? Yeah. And then we see so many instances where you'll see a player on the field obviously rattled and the on-field trainer doesn't take him off the field. And like 10 seconds later, the game has to be stopped to get that player off the field. It's like, what is that all about? It's absolutely just, man, it's, it's, it's a game that's trying to think on the run. Yeah. And they want to, they want to appear like they're doing the right thing without doing anything too severe or accepting fault or blame. I think the NRL should donate $1 million a year to concussion research. Absolutely. And, and say, like, here's the money. We want to know everything we can to minimise it, to help our players, because this is a player welfare issue, and try and be proactive in it, not be reactive. Yeah. I'd, look, I'd like the AFL and the NRL to be doing that because they're two very different types of contact that they've both got. Mm-hmm. Like in the AFL, one of the worst tackles they've got there is one that would probably seem legal in the NRL, and that is where you grab someone around the waist and you sort of just sling them around to the ground. Mm-hmm. But in AFL, it happens at such a faster speed. It causes um, massive whiplash and, and you know heads being smacked onto the ground pretty bloody hard. Um those ones are nasty. Well, the other thing is, for in in rugby league, you're getting hit from the front for, yeah. for the most part. You know where the opponent's coming from. In the AFL, they can hit you from any angle. Exactly. And as I said, like they're they're coming at a faster speed. They 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 tend to be slinging you around a lot more. So the chances are you you're probably not going to get hit hard in a frontal run, you know, tackle like you do in league. You're going to get thrown to the ground or into someone else, or it, it could be someone could. It could be a, you know, hip to the head or something like that when someone's gone up for a mark. So there's so many different and unique types of head knocks that you could be had there. And if both the AFL and the NRL were both donating a million dollars each year to an independent, um, you know, brain injury thing that's not affiliated with either code mm. and they're not... Um, they're not being told to do anything in particular with that money that that will favour the game. They're just doing research. Yeah, that would be the best outcome for everybody, yeah. and that would be world leading um, world leading research because, as we just said, all the different unite unique types of um, head injuries that happen just between those two codes of football would cover nearly every sport in the world being played at the moment. Pretty much, yeah, and. It would stop. It would stop the reactionary stuff, like we've seen from the rugby football league, where they're obviously taking some of their cues for possible rule changes from the NFL. Where the and I've talked about this before on the podcast, where the NFL is a very, very, very different sport. I know there are people that think that it's the very similar sports. They're not. They're very, very different. You lead with your head with everything you do in the NFL, and you're wearing a helmet. And you use your helmet as a weapon, you know. So you don't do that in rugby league. Um, it's like there are there's a big difference between rugby union and rugby league. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, where um, you know Andy Farrell said in rugby league you're playing it upright. In rugby union, you're sort it's almost like a horizontal game. You're sort of playing at a different sort of level. You know, uh, it's much more like the NFL with with rugby union because that. 
you know, hunched over sort of position they're in, a lot of the impact is shoulders to the tops of the head. And that compresses at the, you know, the base of the brain, which is where most of CTEs are concerned, I guess. Yeah. And, and like, so when that, when you're taking your, your rule change cues from a sport that has a completely different dynamic to your sport, it, it makes no sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, so there's, this, there's some interesting stats here that the um, RFL produced on some of the concussions. Mm-hmm. So it said between 2018 and 2022, there was 196 concussions recorded. 30% were suffered by the ball carrier and 70% by the tackler. Mm-hmm. The majority of those suffered by the ball carrier were through contact in the head neck area, which equated to 0.86 concussions per 1,000 tackles. For the tackler, the short, 0.53 concussions per 1,000 tackles and the upper leg area contact and may account for most concussions than the head, neck area, and the lower leg. So I dare say it's when they're hitting, they're getting down low, it's that head into the hip area. Yeah, yeah. Look, any, anyone that's played the game knows that you're going to get hurt more when you're tackling someone. You just are. Yeah, because like, you're stationary. They're running at you. Yes, and it's a scary prospect. It's really weird. I... I've noticed, uh, I don't know if, what it is, but I've noticed over the last year and a half, I'll see people talking about things that happen in rugby league, and I'm I'm like, that doesn't really apply when you're playing the game. And no, that's all right. you realise that most people haven't played the game, and, and look, that's all right. I'm not, you know, crapping on anyone that hasn't played footy. But uh, it's different when you're playing it. It's different when you're playing it. And there are things that you learn when you're playing the game. And it's even things like how to win and how to lose. You know, I think there's a lot of people that don't know how to react when your team loses a game. And I think yeah. that when you play it, you get taught that, you know. That's right. Um, just one thing about this, just thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. So the thing on here that the, the tackler is the one who's getting concussed more than the actual ball carrier. Yes. And tackling low is one of the biggest contributors mm-hmm. to the tackler being concussed. Say so, it, Andrew. Say it. So we're just we're just putting the numbers together here. Yes. The most common way to get concussed in rugby league is to be a defender tackling low. So what do we do with the height of the tackle? We, we make it lower. <laughs> <sighs> so dumb. And I'm not advocating for high tackles, obviously, but they've done the research. It's thrown there to them, and they've gone, how can we defy this? <laughs> and here's the thing. If you're playing football, right, and you don't want to get hurt, if you get stopped in a tackle upright where you're wrapped up around your arms and stuff, that's probably the safest tackle you can have in rugby league right now, Okay. It really is. The, it's the crazy because look, the, there's the other incident, there's the other mechanism of a tackle, okay, and that is knowing how to fall. Yes. Because you have to know how to do that. You've got to protect yourself. You've got to know how to fall mm. without being able to put an arm or a leg down to break your fall. Mm-hmm. That's something you've got to learn, um, which means falling on your shoulder an awful lot. But that does open up the uh, the chance of you 
your head sort of moving too far left and right when you hit the ground if you go side on uh, or if you land flat on your back, which you should never try and do. Um, like you want to try and land across your shoulders because you don't want to have too much whiplash action going on. Mm. But if you land flat on your back, your head will go back and smack on the on the ground. That's just going to happen because your your head moves. Yeah. You know your back does so. You as you get pushed backwards, your head stays forward a little bit in front of your body as you fall backwards, which means your head will come back and it'll follow the rest of your body. Um. So yeah, it's there's a lot of things that are involved in the mechanics of tackling and being tackled, and you can't make rules to circumvent concussions in all of those occasions. Um, the best one you've got is just no head-eye tackles. And the best way to deal with that is stop being namby-pamby with the rules and be like, crack down hard on it. You hit someone high, like it should be make it a minimum three weeks if it's accidental and six weeks if it's not accidental, if it's careless or reckless. And be, be harder on it. That should be your minimum. People will stop trying to go high if they realise that that's what's going to happen. Give them a fine as well if you want. I don't care. But And honestly, if, how often do players tackle by these days? It's it, so rare. It doesn't happen. It, it's, it's, if it does happen, 99% of the time it's accidental and it's not done with the maliciousness we used to see where people come in with swinging arms trying to knock people's heads off. Mm-hmm. It's because they've got up high. They're still standing still and bracing themselves, but they've got their arms up high. And so they're leading with their shoulder more than anything else, but they're not they're not running in and swinging with an arm or running in like Sonny Bill Williams used to do and trying to drop a huge shoulder on someone. There's none of that going on. Mm. So the game is safer now just as it is. You don't need to bring in these crazy sort of rules. I think a lot of it's gone too far, and it's not actually dealing with the issue at hand. Like kicking off from the opposition's 40-meter line and five-meter rules that's not going to have any impact on concussions in any in any way. None at all. No. I don't get that at all. Um, and tackling below the armpits, I think that's probably that's probably going to be more problematic because you're going to have players coming in and they're going to have their head down a little bit trying to put a shoulder into someone's chest. Mm. Where's the top of the head going to be lined up at? The other bloke's chin. Well, it's not only that. It's like that to me just screams get ready for neck injuries. Well, that's what it is, though. Yeah. So you're going to have tops of heads. Those tackles can go wrong pretty easy if they're out by just an inch or two. Mm-hmm. And that's all it'll take for one head to hit a bloke on the chin. He'll hit the ground backwards, bam, whiplash. He's got two, two head injuries in one tackle. And that's how most of them happen. You You might be able to survive the first the first knock to the head, but fall into the ground when you're a little bit dazed, that's where the concussion will come in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think they've thought that through because that's what will happen. They'll come in, they'll just be driving the shoulder into blokes' ribs and upper chest areas. They'll be sailing as close as possible to where the ball's going to be, which is going to be near the armpit. They're going to be trying to drive the shoulder in there to knock the ball loose. It's not about being malicious. It's about trying to get the ball. That's what will happen. They're very strange rule changes. and They concern know. me a little. Yeah. I, look, I, good luck to the Rugby Football League. Start a new sport. Go away. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, we had high hopes of them actually running rugby league for a while. They've thrown that away. <laughs> oh, man. What else has been going on? I haven't seen too much else. I enjoyed the footy over the weekend, hey? I thought mm. there, was, there was a lot of really good, really interesting football games too. I think this round of football coming up is going to be an absolute bludger because all of the good players are obviously out and then we've got some injuries on top of them. And like I was looking at the clash uh, this weekend between the the Panthers and the uh, Cowboys, and I, it's just a write off as a game. Like you know, even though Penrith will name a lot of very good replacement players, I'd be shocked if the Cowboys didn't win. Their their form has been better. Um, the Cowboys since since that um. Remarkable loss that they had a few weeks back. But um, should I go through some stats for this weekend's games? Yeah, go for it. All right. Penrith have won 20 of their last 23 games in Queensland. <laughs> That's insane. They're so weird. It's weird them one team. Um, the Cowboys have had one win and 10 losses in their last 11 games against teams that were sitting in first place on the ladder. Oh, wow. Uh, for the Knights and Roosters, the Knights are currently on 399 premiership wins. Mm-hmm. Roosters have won 15 of their last 21 games played in Newcastle. I picked the I picked the Roosters for that one because I just I don't think you can ever rely on the Knights. No, I can't. Um, Manly have won just two of their last 10 games in Sydney away from Brookvale. Oh, that's surprising. Um, Nine of the last 11 games between these two sides have seen at least 40 points scored for the match. The other two games had 34 and 35 points scored. (laughs) And this is just an interesting one. Of the 148 times that they've played, Manly has been higher on the ladder in 111 of those games. Wow. And they've won 63% of those games. Um. Tigers and Storm. Manly's only, sorry, Melbourne's only loss at Campbelltown was against Penrith in 2020. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> They've won their four other games there, which were three against the Tigers and one against the Magpies. I wonder what but, type of crowd we get down there. Well, probably not a big one because the Tigers have lost their last seven games at Campbelltown and have recorded just four wins from their last 20 games there, which goes back to 2016. Jeez, that's rough. Their last win at Campbelltown was 2020. And uh, Melbourne have won their last five games against the Tigers, which is their longest streak against them, and have scored 190 points to, to 88, which is an average score of 38 to 17. Man, so and, if you if we're like, and it's hard because they're missing a few players, but if we're lining it up, the Storm are going to whip the the West Tigers. They should do, yeah. Uh, for the last one, Cronulla have won just two of their last six games at uh, Points Vet Stadium. Mm-hmm. Mind you, the Bulldogs' last win there was in 2011. <laughs> and Cronulla have won 10 of their last 12 games against the Dogs, including the last four straight. What do we think about the Bulldogs at the moment? Because... Dross. Yeah, that like in some ways you can see some improvement from where they have been, but you're coming from such a low mark that that wouldn't be difficult at all. And... Some of the, I mean, some of the stupid football they played against Parramatta, I could not believe. Um, there was a quick, uh, there was a kick by Reed Marnie on the second tackle, 
and, and and it was early in the match, but the Bulldogs looked like they're on top, and it just turned the game. And Parramatta, you know, didn't look back from that point on. Um, lots of dumb decisions in that football team, and I, I just wonder how much longer they will go before Cameron Seraldo starts looking tired. <laughs> Yeah, I'm waiting for uh, for Gus to start, you know, getting the no dos out. Well, it's, I I said I said uh, on Twitter we're going to start getting reports that oh Phil Gould took over a training session because that's how he does it. Like he's he's really predictable. Yeah, so that's uh, a training I'm, session. I'm only here to help Cameron. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so. only here to help. You take a day off, mate. <laughs> you look a bit tired. I'll run coaching for a few hours. Okay, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Next thing you know, Cameron wakes up and he's been sacked. He's been sacked, yeah. Um, and Gus will be saying, hey, I don't want to be a head coach. Yeah, oh, I don't want to be a head coach, but I know who'll be a good head coach and or there'll yeah. be who'll next cab off the rank, whoever's career he wants to do. Anthony Griffin. Imagine. Imagine that. I think Anthony Griffin would tell him to go get fucked, quite honestly. <laughs> oh, man. What's it? The thing that's crazy about what's going on with the Dragons at the moment, we'll go back to this, is um, from from what some sources have been saying online, a lot of the decisions within how the club is run, especially with who they pick as coaches, is sort of done based on the ego of one or two of board members. Yeah. But the majority of the board members have now decided to vote for um, Flano to be the coach but this one bloke doesn't want him to be coach. There's a bit of a... People don't know whether I hate this bloke or like him now, but it seems like a lot of the fans want Flano to be the coach, which I don't know. I don't get it. But I suppose when you're desperate, <laughs> we had yeah. Tigers fans that were happy about Tim Sheen's coming back. I wonder yeah. how they feel now. <laughs> true, true. Um, the thing that doesn't... The thing I don't get about the Dragons is that they're a privately owned club. And I just think if I owned a club and, and all of this crap, because if you're a privately owned club, it doesn't matter if you've got a board or a CEO or anything, it's your club. You can do whatever the fuck you want. And I just can't imagine sitting back and being like, oh yeah, they run it. You know, it, it makes no sense to me that, because they're obviously the investment you make as a private owner, the dragons are worth less now than when they were bought. Yeah. So yeah. why would you let that happen? I don't know. It's it's a mess over there. Mm. It's it's hard to believe that there's a club out there that's being run worse than the West Tigers. But there they are. Yeah. Like, can you imagine going to Russell Crowe as the, say, the CEO of the South Sydney Rabbitohs and saying, you know, Russell, I'm in charge here. Like, how long do you reckon Russell Crowe... <laughs> would look at you before he says you're fired. And and look, Russell Crowe's not one of those owners that controls everything. No, he's, no. he's the perfect owner for a club. He steps in when he's asked to or needed to. And other than that, he just makes sure the money's there. And and that's what you want out of an owner. But this is when the, the Dragons owner should be stepping in and taking control. And that's the thing that shocks me is that they're not doing that. Yeah. Like, I I just can't believe that there are people that are power brokers in the club 
It's like, no, when you're a privately owned club, there's only one power broker. That's it. Yeah. It, it's a very messy situation at that club. Mm. And they need a broom as much as the West Tigers do. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like the Tigers, everyone that's running the club, they're all protecting one another. Yeah. So you're stuck. And it's fucking frustrating. And even more so, it's annoying as hell because you just know there's no progress while this shit goes on. Yeah, you're just treading water. Yeah, and any improvement is largely a fluke. It's not long-lasting. Mm-hmm. It just and isn't. it just it prolongs what you're going through. Yeah, that's right. It, it's a band-aid over a situation. Mm-hmm. And you, you look at it. The You do have simple things like when, that ti- when the Tigers racked up 60 points a few weeks ago. Mm. Everyone overlooked the the losses since then, but now they're starting to go. Well, it'd be nice to have another win again. Mm-hmm. You know, one win, one win is enough to give everybody you know three weeks of losses. You go, how does that work? But you know, we did it with one premiership. Didn't worry about being a failure for the next ten, fifteen years because we we won in two thousand five. Yeah. It's nearly 20 years ago. <laughs> Fuck. I, I just remember when Matthew Elliott was at the Panthers and uh, and we had that one season. I think we finished second on the ladder or something weird like that. And I was kind of devastated by it because I knew it was going to prolong everything and we desperately needed change. And thankfully we got that change that came through. But, man, it is a weird situation to be in where – Every time your team wins, you're happy that they won and you want them to get better, but you know that every win they get is prolonging the time that the worst people involved are going to stay there. It, yeah. it sucks. It really sucks. It does. It does. Um, that's about it. Should we have a quick look around the uh, some of the competitions around the world at the moment? Yeah, hit me with some... Uh, some- some interesting information that's going on around the world. Well, I thought I'd ask you, okay. which teams are the worst of the worst around the uh, the major competitions? St. Helens. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the bottom of the ladder. Okay. 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 So in the NRL, we've got the West Tigers and the Dragons. Yes. Who, who's the worst out of those two, you reckon, at the moment? Um... Oh, man, that's close. It's mm. real close. They're both on 10 points. Uh-huh. The Tigers have had three wins and 10 losses. The Dragons have had four wins and 10 losses. So the Tigers are higher basically because they've had an extra buy. Yeah, I, I, I probably have to lean towards the Tigers being worse. In Super League, Castleford and Wakefield. <sighs> Castleford's had three wins, 12 losses, and Wakefield's had one win, 14 losses. Yeah, Wake, Wakefield is a, a absolute mess. They're, they're, they're devastatingly bad. They are. Um, can't really do the bottom two in, in championship because there's such a big gap between second last and last. So we'll just go with Newcastle there. One win, one draw, 12 losses. Um, They'll turn it around. <laughs> <laughs> how are they going? Oh, they're only conceding 33 points a game, so they're not too bad. It's not bad. Um. In League One, Cornwall, one win, nine losses. In London, 11 losses, no wins. Cornwall, 
their defense is not great. They're conceding 45 points a game. Oh. But they're not the worst defensive team in the comp because that's London who are conceding 51 points a game. No. Oh. See what I mean? We talked about this in the last episode. I think it was London is just done. Let's have a look. This is the London Scholars, not the London Broncos. So here's some of their losses this year. Actually, I'll just read them all out in order. Uh, 58-16, 42-4, 62-18, 66-22, 35-10. That's not a bad effort. 48-16, 38-20, 28-24. Oh, warm. 60-30. And uh, the last few weeks have not been good. 52-6, 60-6, and 62-14. That's crazy. <laughs> It, it's not going well over there. Yes. Um, what else have we got here? In New South Wales Cup, we've got the Knights and the Roosters at the bottom of the ladder. The Knights the Knights are higher purely because they've had an extra buy, but their points difference is minus 186 after 13 games. The Roosters is 101 points better than their last. <laughs> wow. Um. What was the last one? Queensland Cup. Ipswich. They still haven't won a game this year after 12 matches. And they're conceding 44 points a game. So there you go. It's easy to look at all the teams going well. But how's about a bit of a bit of uh, focus on the teams going shit? Yeah, sometimes you've got to just look at how the other half lives, don't you? Exactly. Um in the women's super league, the the Huddersfield women's team started off. <laughs> their first two games were as, as far apart as you can get. Mm-hmm. Actually, the first four. So they opened this season with an eighty to nil loss to Leeds. Wow. Their next game, just nine days later, was in the uh, World Club Challenge. They beat Alton fifty four to four. The World Club Challenge. Yeah. Uh, sorry. The what is it? Women's Challenge Cup. Sorry. Okay. Um. So that was a 134-point turnaround. Yep. That's a pretty good one. Then they beat Bradford 32-12 in the second round of the Challenge Cup. In the third round, they lost to Leeds 54-0. So in two games against Leeds, they've scored zero points and conceded 134. It's interesting the way that women's rugby league is developing. Um, in, in Australia, obviously we've pushed forward with it and we've got the – NRLW and it, you know we've expanded the competition and the the talent is being spread around a little bit more and, and stuff like that. New Zealand's really been left by the wayside which worries me because for for a lot of the time it was Australia and New Zealand were like neck and neck for talent and now I don't think it's even close and so we need to drag New Zealand along again and then over in England, they're really trying to ramp things up. But as you can see by the scorelines, like, that's not good for developing their players. Well, it's the same problem they've got with their with most of their competitions over there, to be honest. The gap yeah. between the best and the worst is massive. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't understand how to run a proper salary cap to make that more even and, and better. So it just stays as a mess. Yeah, yeah. But there we go. I don't know if there's anything else. No, it's been, uh, I mean, it hasn't been that long since we did our last podcast, so not, not much has been able to happen. But, but we've, we've been we've been thorough. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be, um, 
interesting to see what comes out of this upcoming Origin match. I will do a podcast before it, but you know, it's it's just going to be interesting to see if we still play if New South Wales still plays like a team with no plan, um, because it's it's been the case for that that's been the case for so long now. So I think they're know. channeling their inner Tommy Rodonicus. Remember the game plan he, he mentioned he had in 1998, 99 with the Magpies? If we don't know what we're doing, how will they ever know what we're That's doing? Exactly right. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> we need to do an episode about that Magpies team, hey? I think so, yeah. Where we just go through the results and talk about some of the memories and the the great players they had. and The great tries they conceded. Great, yeah, the great. Some... Honestly, some surprisingly good players in the opposition teams. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll check that. That's not a bad idea. Man, that'll, that'll be interesting. We can no. look at some of the the worst teams and their worst seasons ever. Who would you say is the second worst team that you've seen? Second worst. I it, For me, it's between the Newcastle sides and the, the Bulldogs. So it's probably the Bulldogs. I don't know, that, those Newcastle sides were pretty bad. They were bad. But, and you know what, that sorry. Broncos side of, of uh, was it 2020? Yeah, but I, they were terrible, right? But I feel as though a lot of that was just devastating coaching. Yeah, there was also South in 1990. So I don't remember them. Two wins and 22, uh, two wins and 20 losses. The year after they were minor premiers. The South team that was put together when they first come back into the competition Ooh. was, that was rough, but like, there's no way to avoid that situation either. Like, they, at no. least they had a reason. No, that's true. Because they had to put that team together really quick too. Yeah. Um, West Wales Raiders. Oh well, yeah, they they they're devastating. They're the, they're the benchmark. They are, are they the officially dead now? Yeah, they are. Yeah, I thought so. Which is a shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was big, big, big blow to Welsh rugby league. That. <laughs> uh, they they did last a fair few seasons though, thirteen yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. But That's they started really cool they started out as. They started out as the South Wales Scorpions. <laughs> that was 2010 to 2016. Mm-hmm. Only got two wooden spoons out of those seasons. Mm-hmm. Then in 2017, they became the South Wales Ironmen. And then from 2018 to 2022, they were the West Wales Raiders. And they got the wooden spoon every year except for... How did they knock it in 2018? What have we done wrong there? No, they got it in 2018. <laughs> they... They finished the season with minus four points. <laughs> oh, that's right, because they had... Uh, they, what was it? they fielded an ineligible player, that's, and they lost yeah. four competition points for it, and then they lost all 26 games. And they had an average scoreline for the year of uh, four, 6.77 points per game, and against 81. <laughs> <laughs> I think they... Did they still hold the record for the biggest loss in rugby league history? No. It was overtaken. Two, two biggest losses. Oh, they've got the two biggest losses. 
Yes, I believe that was the case. Okay, okay. Because I remember, I remember updating my website when they they had the they had. Okay, and I can't even remember what it was, but it was like what was that, 141 to nil or something ridiculous. York beat them 144 to nil. Yeah. And then when York played them next, they beat them 130 to nil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bradford beat them 124 nil the week after they they lost to York. So they lost to York in round eight, 144 nil. Then they next week they lost to Bradford 124 nil. And then when they played Bradford next, they lost 104 to nil. Um, they conceded 100 points in the game on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Um, and 98 once, 94 once. Yeah, it, it's a mess. A few 80s, a bunch of 70s. A few teams only racked up 60 against them. Fucking useless. <laughs> Just Welsh Rugby League right there, isn't it? That was that was a mess. Mm. They conceded 2,100 points in 26 games. Sounds worse than it is, though. <laughs> they scored 176, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got to look at the positives. Oh. The amount of points they scored for the year, York almost scored against them in one game. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the problem was that after that first game against York, they were really up against it with the aggregate. Well, yeah, it wasn't going well by then. <laughs> they were doing well, but their worst defeat up until then was the week before, and they lost 84-6 to six to Whitehaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things you know, you get a couple of bad decisions go against you. Oh, but the ref was an asshole that day. Who was it? <laughs> Fucking Brandon Robinson. Ah, good one. Yeah, that forward pass he let York City get away with in the um 17th second where they went up 24 nil. Fucking cost him the game. By the way, I was watching the I watched the deciding game of the NBA Finals uh, today, and they're speaking of refereeing decisions. There was Jimmy Butler, it gets the ball and he's he's kind of going out of bounds and he throws up a three-pointer and they call a foul against the the, Dem- the Denver Nuggets, right? Mm-hmm. And normally a foul like that is you, you haven't given the three-point shooter room to shoot the three and then like drop back down to the ground. They, you know, you've taken their legs out from underneath them. Anyway, Jimmy Butler goes up and he... He flicks his leg out and kicks a Denver Nuggets player in the balls, right? <laughs> and then drops on the ground. And they reviewed it and they still gave the foul against the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> it, was one, it was one of the worst foul calls I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Yeah. That's that's bad. It just make, it makes you think of like how bad some refereeing is, and like sometimes you'll watch the game and you'll be like, "Oh, the referee missed that." Or there's sometimes I watch video referee decisions, and I'm like, I, "I'm glad I don't have to be the one making this decision," because you could go either way, you know. But then Absolutely. other times you'll see howlers, and you're like, "Holy shit, that's bad." It is. Hey, um, I'm going to go back on the story we did the Shane Flano one. Okay. There's a statement from him. From Shane Flanagan. From Flano himself. Are you ready for it? Yeah, go for it. I received the great news today that the St. George Laura Dragons board have unanimously supported my appointment as head coach starting in 2024. 
The details will be finalised over the next few days, and once completed, I will supply a detailed press release. It would be an understatement if I didn't express my excitement of being appointed head coach of the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Thank you for the overwhelming support. What? That's a bit weird, isn't it? Mm, it sounds like the Dragons wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when the uh, when a player would an NRL player would sign for a Super League club, and the Super League club would put out a supposed quote by the yes. NRL player, yes. and like they would they would say, oh, "I can't wait to go and play rugby in Wakefield," and it's like, we, like we don't call it rugby. Like he obviously didn't say that, you know. It's always funny. Oh, that is good. So there you go. That's basically him. Um, Dragons fans are ecstatic. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll find out what happens in about five to seven years from now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good luck with that. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I guess we can um, we can wrap this one up and put it to bed. Yeah, it's been a good episode. It's been frustrating. I don't think we've resolved anything, and I think that we know less about how the sport is run now than we did when we started. Isn't that wonderful? Mm, it's great. There's plenty plenty of work we've got to do for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> After we sold everything in the last one, we've got to, we've got to um, learn everything all over again now. Exactly, exactly. Ah, oh, rugby league. Alrighty, well, uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And before we head off, I've been told to give a shout-out to someone called Dan. Um, he's a Sharks fan. Mrs. Mm-hmm. caught up with him at the, uh, the basically the murder that happened at Amy Park on the weekend. <laughs> the Sharks Sharks fans in, in Melbourne all got together and they had a, got to have a meet and greet with the Sharks players, which was very good by the, um, the Cronulla Club to organise that at very short notice. Mm-hmm. Um... Then they all went along to the game, and she said he turned up and he's listening to a podcast. And she said, "Oh, my hubby does a podcast." And he says, "Oh, I've been listening to this one. And it was ours." <laughs> really? Yeah. So Dan's a listener. Dan's a listener. Wow. What did she say when when he showed oh, the podcast? You know, gushed about how amazing I am, how yeah. I carry the show, all all these sort of lies. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, did she say that my husband does that podcast? He's forty nine this year. Yeah. Oh, she probably said I was about fifty nine. <laughs> I've got the beard back and it's got white hair in it, so you know I look like an old old man. <laughs> but Dan, Dan was at the game with um with um Mrs. Nathan. Oh, really? Yeah, Mrs. Nathan was there. Ah, cool. There you go. Well, so, I'm glad you enjoy listening to us, Dan. We enjoy having you as a listener. Absolutely. And if there's any chance you can give um. Mrs. Nathan, a bit of tips on how to um, hide his bike better. I'm sure he'd be happy about that. Maybe Actually, he was trying to fucking hide it in his fucking garage or some shit. We should, <laughs> we should try and steal his bike, hey? Well, we were going to do that and paint it pink from memory. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um. And yeah. Apparently, he go he goes for Geelong in the AFL, Mrs. Nathan. But um, okay. Geelong, Collingwood, they all look the same. Yeah, I don't. All I know is that there are a bunch of white guys with mullets. That <laughs> <laughs> pretty much sums them up. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in, all the all the Sharkies fans out there that um, that are tuning in. Um, They're still listening after what I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all wonder why you hate the Sharks so much, and I say he doesn't hate them. He hates no, everyone pretty well. Yeah, I, like I pretty consistent weird. with your hatred. 
people say like, oh, you just hate this player. You just, it's like, no, I don't hate, I don't hate this team or that team. It's like, there's only one team in the competition I look at and I, I question why they exist. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's, it's not the West Tigers. It fucking should be. <laughs> well, I always, I, I wonder if the West Tigers started playing all of their games at Leichhardt and you know they really want to. Well, I must do because they win there more often than they do at that other one. I forgot where it's played is now. I mean, they don't play it there anymore. But if they if they played all their games at Leichhardt, I feel like the NRL would need an expansion team in the Macarthur region. Hey, maybe they could use Campbelltown as a training facility mm-hmm. and just put take all of the seats and all of the stadium that's actually um, safe to use mm-hmm. and transfer all of that to Leichhardt. They could probably do that. Yeah, get rid of all of the white ants and put all of that you know, steel and concrete in there that they've got at Campbelltown. Hey, 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 Robbie Farris right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know you hate that comment. <laughs> Boom, tish. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> there we go. We'll get Robbie Farrell one day. He'll set the record straight. That'd be great. Can you imagine? <laughs> I'd love it. What would be the first question you'd ask Robbie Farrell? Robbie Farrer, on a scale of 9 to 10, how much of a cunt is Matthew Johns? Ah, <laughs> I would go, say... Using the same scale, tell us how much you uh, hate Jason Taylor. Oh, I was going to do a Jason Taylor <laughs> one. I was going to say, Robbie, what were your philosophical differences on rugby league between what you think about it and Jason Taylor? Yeah. Did you ever tell Jason Taylor about how many tests you played and how many different countries you played for compared to him? <laughs> Jason Taylor was a good player though to be fair yeah. you couldn't even play test for one country let alone two Jason Taylor was <laughs> a highly upskilled Mitchell Moses <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that there's, there's, that's much of a praise that's not that's fucking not no. but am I wrong no I'm so right. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Um, especially when it comes to finals football. Yeah. The ability to choke in that, that part of the season. Oh. On point for both of them. Really like... I mean, the, I guess the thing about Jason Taylor is he had his whole career that he did it. So there's still a few years for Mitch Moses to get to that level, but... <clears throat> Like he, the the thing that sealed it for Jason Taylor was he goes into that Parramatta team in the the early noughties, which was red hot, and just puts up a dark egg when it matters. <laughs> uh, I, I just when it comes to players like that, I like to just say Jason Taylor, all those great achievements. He was the game's leading point scorer for a brief period. Still less premierships than Chad Townsend. <laughs> He, he, I think he might still hold the record for the most consecutive games played, I guess, hey? Yeah, I think he overtook... Um, oh, I'm going to remember here. I think he overtook former Illawarra player Michael Bolt. Who oh, really? For quite a while. He had 150-odd games, and I think Taylor Wick went to 180-odd. I um, don't think that's been broken, hey? I don't believe so. Yeah. You know, if you make sure that you don't get injured... 
and are not quite good enough to play rep football, you're a good chance. Oh, that's rough. He was he was a he was a good player. He just no, you know, just saying that that's the way it is. If you don't play rep football, you don't miss NRL games. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. He had a lot of very good players ahead of him. He did, if he did. if Jason Taylor was available now, would you it's, select him? No, Mitch Moses. No, you wouldn't. No, I would. Jason Taylor ahead of Mitch Moses, better kicking no. game, right? Marginally, but that's it. The playmaking skills are not much different. Playmaking, I think Jason Taylor was a little bit better of a playmaker than Mitch Moses. We're not talking. the same running game. Not the same running we're, game. We're cutting very small hairs here. We are. We are. Yeah. Much better goal kicker. So you've got a goal yeah. kicker, a high-level goal kicker. That's about it. He's not going to perform good under pressure, but, you know, when did Mitch Moses ever do that either? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I'd probably pick Chad Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> what about... Uh, Mitch Moses. Chad. <laughs> <laughs> you just go and Chad the whole <laughs> Yep. I reckon we get Jack Cogger in there, to be honest with you. Chad Townsend, undefeated in grand finals. That's a good point. Undefeated. I mean, how much more pressure do you need? That's, that's a very good point. There he is, bam, up there all on his own. Who's the, the worst halfback? Oh, I think we worked that out not long ago. It was that uh, the Broncos halfback, the worst premiership winning halfback. And when I say worst, I mean the least accomplished, I guess. That's Shane Perry? Shane, was it Shane Perry was his name? I know it was Shane something. I think it was Shane Perry. Still a premiership winner, but, yeah, you wouldn't put him on an all-time list or anything like that. No, 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 that's, that's all right. Which is fair enough. That's fine. That's Shane Perry was the halfback equivalent of Sean Rudder. Basically, yes. Yeah. Yeah, if you put those two in the same side together, they're not making to a grand final. <laughs> <laughs> they might make the New South Wales Cup grand final. You never know. Yeah, it's probably true. They'll, they'll make the RFL one. Oh, yeah, they'd win Super League. They, uh, <laughs> they'd be ahead after 60 minutes, you know. Um, Shane Perry... Or Mitch Moses. <laughs> <laughs> Taking Perry. He's <laughs> got the stats. He does. He sacks it up. Things. <laughs> it's all about the pre- it's all about the experience according to Gus. Yeah. Big match experience. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Um alrighty. Well thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um it's, it's been an honor having you listening to us. And it's been more of an honor to have, for uh, you to be hearing us. Let's be honest. Um, make sure you check us out on all the socials. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. So check us out all of those. Like, subscribe, share it all around, please. And uh, we will check you all in next time.